And the funniest thing, I gave him the lift one day and I said, I said, so what sport do you do, Cuban? He says, no, 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 I do high jump. I said, how good are you? He says, I'm the world champion. I'm the world record holder. <laughs> His name is Javier Sotomayor. I never forget a lot of people put on so much weight that they couldn't even compete because it was three ice creams, like magnums <laughs> everywhere. Ever wonder what it's like to be an Olympian on the big stage? So does Bevo. So does my voiceover guy. Legends with Bevo. The road to Tokyo. Thanks to Anytime Fitness Glenelg, Renalek Electrical Services, Tiger Tennis and SMS Gas Installations. Oscar Chalupski, 12-time World Surf Ski Champion, 92 Olympian, team captain for South Africa. Great to have you on Legends of Bevo, the road to Tokyo. Thanks, Bevo. Nice to be here. I mean, it's uh, I'm a little bit far away from you and uh, probably eight hours difference, but it still feels like we're in the same room. You are looking like you're in a beautiful place there. Speaking off air, it's your brother's place in, in, in Durban because you're normally in Portugal, but you're sort of, uh, with, the, with the COVID situation, just in, in Durban at the moment. Is that correct? That's correct, yeah. I'm saying my brother's place is in a gated community in, of Mount Edgecombe, which has got two golf courses, and 200 metres up the road is Pony Dam, where I do a lot of my, did a lot of my training for my world championship races. So it's a really lovely spot. And, and Durban is like Brisbane sort of weather. It's always warm and hot all through the year. So it's a great spot. So we're going to talk about your Olympic experience, Oscar. We were speaking off air. It came from your father. Your father was a was an Olympian as well back in the day, or well, was going to be, but that's another story we'll speak about a bit later on. Let's start with your your Olympic memories, though, as a child. Um, what was it like growing up as a kid, and you know, what did you enjoy about the Olympics? What was your first memories of it? Yeah, the, the, the strangest thing about it is it was a sort of a very distant problem because we, it, we I was born up in the apartheid years where we weren't allowed to compete against anybody. We used to have to sneak around and go under different pseudonyms and different country names to go and compete internationally. It was not easy. So the Olympics was such a, a far cry from us because we just thought they banned us. In fact, how to listen to this stupid story. So 1980, 1980, uh, I raced in the first uh, uh, Malacca, my first Malacca, racing against Grant Kenny from Australia. who got a bronze medal at the Olympics. I raced him in the Malacca Channel in 1980. I managed to beat him, thank you very much. And I beat him another seven times. So I won seven years in a row. Now listen to the funny thing. Then in, in so 1990 came along, they said, no, no, you can't race the Molokai anymore because no, no competitors allowed to compete against the South African. Meantime, I've got a German passport, but they would say, sir, if you train in South Africa, you're not allowed to compete. So they banned me. So I was banned from the Molokai after seven years in a row, winning that race oh. and, and Grant coming second or third. And uh, they banned me. So then I took up golf. That's how I went to golf. Can you believe all things? I said, I'm bugger this pad. I went to golf. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, uh, and, and, it's, and, and so our first memory was never, they were, Tim Robinson, a famous Australian, and, 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 and obviously Nathan Begg, they were all competing. I couldn't compete. No matter what I tried, we couldn't compete. We were never allowed to compete against the rest of the world. So I never went to junior world championships. So Olympics was a very far cry, and, and I knew the problems with this happened, and I was in some way fortunate. So my dad is a German national, and he said that he had to give up his German nationality to compete for South Africa, and he, would, he was the top paddler in South Africa, so he would have gone to the Olympics. And thank goodness he gave up his, uh, his citizenship after we were born. That way we've got German citizenship, and, and, and we could have gone to compete against, uh, for Germany. The strangest thing is he can't get his German passport back ever 
And all the children, all his children, his four children, all got German passports. <laughs> that's uh, so that's it, that's extraordinary. extraordinary. So, yeah, and then I, I went in 1986. I went to Germany. I thought, okay, let me try this Olympic Games lock. And in 1986, I went to Germany and started racing and competing in Germany with the with uh, with the future to try and uh, and and uh, make the German national team, which I could do. And I had a lo- uh, quite a bit of success, but it was just I was my, on my own uh, training there in Munich on, on the Olympic uh, training course, and it, and it was tough. I didn't really enjoy it, and uh, so I just canned it after a year and came back to South Africa. And then when Nelson Mandela was released, suddenly the Olympics came came into our, our scope and our vision to say, okay, well, this is some goal to go for. And again, we were competing, like sneaking around all over the world. So we were doing the marathon and the serve skis and things, but nothing, nothing with Olympics. And then suddenly they said, hey, I think we can go to the Olympics. Nelson Mandela has been released after 27 years in prison at Robben Island. And we've got a chance to go to the Olympics. And our sport happened to be the, had, had the most transformation because obviously the previously disadvantaged didn't have much uh, chance. So, so suddenly within basically a year and a half, of, of Nelson being uh, released, we were going to go to the Olympics in 1992 in Barcelona. What an incredible story. And I guess qualifying for the Olympics, what did it take, Oscar? Because um, it must have been an extraordinary uh, feeling to know that you qualified for your first Olympics in Barcelona. Yeah, So, and the qualifying was also a nightmare. You couldn't believe, because uh, we didn't have to go through any of, like nowadays, you have to qualify to get your boats. And there they said, okay, South Africa's first time in, you've qualified, you can have six paddlers. And at the Olympic trial, never forgetting Rudaplat Dam, which is high altitude in Pretoria, one of the young guys trying to make the Olympic team had a heart attack and died at the Olympic qualifying. So you can imagine what a shock that is. You just think, oh, this is just bliss. We're, gonna, we, we're qualifying for the Olympics. We're training for the Olympics. We, we, we're really going uh, all out. And then you have your close friend who pushing himself to the limit. And that's what happens when you go to the Olympics. And, and he died on the dam. And I was giving him CPR because I'm a lifesaver, as you know, and he didn't make it. So that was a, a big damper. But again, you have to look past that and say, okay, let's go. And, and it was a tough call because um, we had a very big team that year because it was the first time and, and they allowed us and, and it was nice. They sort of just uh, sort of, nominated me as the captain because I was sort of the most well-known Olympic sportsman in, in the field. I mean, we had lots of cricketers that were really famous, Clive Rice and, and these guys, and, and, but they weren't in the Olympic discipline. So, and in that team, we had Zola Bud, a lot of people know, the barefoot runner, and Alana Mayer, and we had Wayne Ferreira, the tennis player. So it was a really mixed bag of people, and everybody was so excited once we knew we were going to the Olympics. But again, it wasn't enough time, so it really... It, it was one of those things that we trained like you cannot believe, like you have to. I mean, you, you're winning by a few seconds, but the time, I mean, most people are training for or their whole life is around going to the Olympics where our life wasn't going around about going to, there was no chance. Uh, and this opportunity came up and obviously took, took full uh, advantage of it. And then, then you put in a lot of hard yards. And when you actually found out you were going to be at the 92 Olympics as well, um, what was that feeling like and who were the first people that you told about it? Yeah, it's obviously always, you always tell your, your, your uh, 
family and, and, and my wife and, and everything, but because it's a big sacrifice, and I'll never forget, I was the only guy living in Durban, and the rest were in Johannesburg, so we basically had to, I had to go and live in Johannesburg, which is 600 kilometers north of Durban, and go and train there with the squad all week, and then my wife and then my young Luke, who was just uh, two years old, yeah, one year old, he had to stay, they had to, they had to stay at home while I went training flat out to try and uh, get better and better and try and achieve something in, in the Olympics. And again, we had no idea how well we were going to do either. You know, so it's not, you can imagine if you did junior worlds and then under 23 worlds, you sort of know, we had no idea. So it was very different for South African in 1992 than anybody else. So obviously the last 12 months have been tough for all of us, Oscar, and we've seen the postponement of the Olympics for, to, to this year, 2021, and fingers crossed it still goes ahead. What sort of advice do you have for new Olympians or, or those that haven't sort of tasted the, the real Olympic vibe that you got to do in 992? I think the most important thing is realise that just making the Olympic team is not the end step and not the highest step. I think you've got to focus on trying to get a gold medal. So if you don't, win the gold medal, you might get a silver or a bronze. Don't just go to the Olympics to think, I'm there, I've made it. You haven't made it until you've got an Olympic medal, and that, that's very important. So you've got to keep setting your goals high and high. If you want to achieve anything in life, rather set them higher than low. When we went there, it was so euphoric, 27 years or 30 years that we hadn't been to the Olympics, and suddenly we were there. The biggest achievement was just getting to the Olympics after 30 years. So that's why we didn't only won two or three medals and it wasn't a great Olympics, but it was a great place to be, to be at. And, and, and doing this is magnificent. Going to the Olympics is a magnificent thing to do and meeting people. And everybody's on the same level at the Olympics. You touched on that before. You mentioned Wayne Ferreira, obviously the tennis player, and, um, and, and Clive Rice and some of the other athletes as well, some of the, the biggest known sports people of all time. Uh, give us a bit of a taste in terms of what it was like actually Mick mixing it with those athletes and being at the Olympic Village for those of you that, or those people like myself that don't know much about it? Well, it was, it was funny. The, the place where we stayed in Barcelona was like a derelict uh, town and they built it up and they built these blocks of flats and we stayed in the block of flats. And we, the funniest thing is that we stayed with um, the Cuban team, the South African and the Cuban team and the Australian team was across the thing and we were having water bomb fights. <laughs> so you can imagine the fun of going. It's not all just playing, worrying about training. And, and the funniest thing, I gave him the lift one day and I said, I say, so what sport do you do, Cuban? He says, no, 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 I do high jump. I said, how good are you? He says, I'm the world champion. I'm the world record <laughs> His name is Javier Sotomayor. You know, and then I was walking along the beach one day and there was Ben Johnson. Oh. And we chatted, I chatted to Ben Johnson about it and you can just walk around chatting. And then Carl Lewis was in his heyday then. So you're just chatting to the top people in the world and Boris Becker was the top person. So you just chat to anybody and they're all at the same level. Nobody thinks they're better than anybody else. I suppose the only people that were really in, in a league of their own was the, the basketball team from America, the, the dream team. Remember the dream team in 1992? Yes. They won every single uh, 20 <laughs> points. So and you, you meet these guys and, and you have lunch with them. And I never forget a lot of people put on so much weight that they couldn't even compete because there was three ice creams, like magnums <laughs> everywhere. And you know, the funniest thing is, also the, the funniest thing is, it was 1992 was the start, and they did the test program of the first email and internet. How's that? 1992, you'll see. So you do emails and 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 and, and talk to other competitors, and everything was on computer. That was the first internet. Can you believe that? In 1992, you go look it up. 
So, and we had like computers in our in our team room, and, and that's how you communicated with people and and got your tickets. And you'd go to the swimming and the diving, any 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 event that you wanted to, and you and you walked around there with. And it's only athletes, so there's hardly any press. They, they'd organise uh, press conferences, obviously, but you just you had so much fun. I mean, at night the people were going crazy in the in the villages. I mean, the, the, as I say, the water bomb fights were spectacular against Australia and Cuba and South Africa, you know, so it was, it's fun times. And again, it's not because you just sort of, especially a lot of the athletes, we had it's two weeks. So we were the second week. So we couldn't go so crazy, but the guys that finished competing, my gosh, did they give it a hard, <laughs> hard tonk out there drinking and carrying on, you know, because I mean, that was also the same year was Lisa, Lisa Curry was a good, she was married to Grant at that stage and, and met them all. And I knew a lot of all the, the Australian uh, athletes because they were just sitting next door. But it, but it is it's completely different when you get there. You, you as I say, and maybe this year is going to be different, different with COVID. They might be a little bit more stricter, but it was fun mingling. I and mean, you walked onto the field and you mingled around and you saw all the people, the most famous people you've ever heard of, because obviously us being sports and we know every sports, we've seen them, on TV thousands of times, and there you just walk up next to him. How's it, Boris? What's happening? <laughs> that's a, that's that? amazing. You know, it's, it's, it's fun, that you know. So, and again, you just bump into people like walking along the beach or in town. You could walk around town, and, and everybody was in awe of you. All the Spanish, you know. And I've been going to Spain for many times, and and I raced in the biggest canoe race in Spain uh, called the Sela Descent, which is in the northern part of Spain. So it was quite fun to come to Barcelona and I could speak the language fairly well so it definitely helped and being a part of the opening ceremony as well not only being a part of it but actually being the team captain for South Africa after all the challenges you mentioned before that you've had to go through tell us about that sort of feeling as well Oscar yeah I mean it, it, again it's one of those things that I enjoyed the Olympics so much but it, I, I was really disappointed because uh, I didn't I expected more I should have been. Uh, I thought we should be just winning or coming to, making the finals, but we didn't. We didn't get even get close. And funny at that that Olympic 1992, a guy called Clint Robinson won the first gold medal at 18 years old, right? Australian, at yep. Time, yeah, <laughs> yep. Australian Clint Robinson, and uh, and I raced him like four or five months later in the Molokai, and I and I beat him comfortably. So it really bugged me that there I was the Olympics coming Norman nowhere. And then when I when I competed against him in the Surski, and it just shows you the experience that I, that we had on long distance paddling was better than most people in the world. And then when we went to the sprints, we had a shift go from 50 kilometer races to 500 meters and one kilometer races. So that that adjustment was just too a bridge too far for me. So it, it, it did upset me that we weren't doing that well, but it was still magnificent to be there, done that, got the T-shirt, and and I just would have liked to have done it basically in my absolute prime because when I was competing against Grant Kenny, when him and I were 15, 16, we were in junior and senior Ironman, those were the years I would have liked to compete, you know, and, and, and it was a pity that was robbed. We couldn't do it, but it was still fantastic. And, in, and, and leading a team of, of very inexperienced people that never had competed overseas because at, we sneaked around the world under different banners, but the, some athletes had no chance. I mean, you remember uh, Zola Budd had to go and compete for England, and then she took Mary Decker in, in the Olympics before. <laughs> so Mary Decker Slaney that lost. So, 
So that's how you do it. You had to, you had to go to other countries to compete. And, and even now in, in South Africa, you see a lot of, uh, in the South African, in the Australian team, a lot of South Africans, and the New Zealand, a lot of South Africans, and the English team, a lot of South Africans, because that's what's happened. With First, it was apartheid, and now you've got uh, the problem where they, they want to make sure that the previously disadvantaged get a get a, a good chance in our sport. So it's very difficult. Makes you appreciate how good South Africa is in terms of different sports with the cricket. We've seen how good they've been over the years, and with the like you mentioned before, the amount of players that have gone off male and female to other countries, and to see the the success of South Africa in, in rugby, rugby World Cups, rugby league, rugby union, cricket, you name it, they've done incredibly well. So. So, so it's a credit to South Africans for that. <laughs> yeah, I know. We, we, we definitely uh, seeding a, a lot of our players around the world. We, we make every other country stronger. We, they should all stay in South Africa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And what about the actual atmosphere as well of competing in your first Olympics in 902? Obviously, it's a while ago now. but no, It's amazing yeah. because, you know, in our sport, you never competed in, a big, in big crowds. I mean, when we raced, it was always a little uh, like, it's the family and friends used to all watch races, you know, there was nothing. And then you get to to Custer de Fels, which is the, the, the sort of Olympic regatta course just outside Barcelona. And you've got 10,000 people watching you and screaming. It's, a, it's amazing. So it's like from nobody, then you've got thousands of people screaming. And, and you can imagine that tension puts extra pressure on you that you realize, oh, I'm not just doing it in front of my family and friends. I've got the whole world watching on TV and I've got the whole live audience there so it does a lot of people uh, freeze and a lot of people uh, actually do better and post post uh, kayaking you've obviously um you're doing a bit of public speaking these days and are you still involved in the sport as well you still like to keep fit and, and paddle or yes I'm, I'm i'm going flat out still um, and now when i get back to portugal i'll start training we got the world championships for surf ski on the first to the seventh of july and i'll start training hard because I don't know how hard I can train. I mean, as you know, I got diagnosed with cancer a year ago, um, uh, bone marrow cancer. So I don't know how, how well I can go. It's going to be interesting to see. I'm going to, I'm going to try my hardest and see what happens. But I've had my transplant. I'm feeling fairly good. I'm, I'm, a, I'm basically take 21 days chemo, a chemo pill, and then seven days off. And I'm trying to make life as normal and be positive as normal and, and just hang in there till they found a cure, you know. That's why you're a legend, Oscar. <laughs> <laughs> that that's an incredible story. And um it's great, great to hear that you're actually, you know, you've you battled through that and come out the other side and you're still able to do what you love. What a credit what a credit that is to you and um what an amazing story. And uh, speaking of amazing stories as well, this is just one story I loved reading about. You won your first world title at twenty. You won your 12th at the age of 49, 29 years later. Mate, that's incredible. <laughs> How proud must you have been doing that? Yeah, you see, so that, something like that actually st sticks in my memory more than going to the Olympics, which is a pity because, again, it's the old story. When you win, you, you, mem you, you sort of remember things, but when you lose, you ne never, never remember the, the losses. And that was an incredible win because I was racing against Dean Gardner, Clint Robinson, in fact, Clint Robinson came second. Dean Gardner from Australia was third. And we had some unbelievable uh, athletes that year. And, and to win at 49 shows you, number one, that, that it's a lot of skill in, in, in sports and a lot of mental aptitude and fitness. So you've got to put all those together. And at 49, not many people have ever won a, a world title at that age in any sport. 
So it takes, and it's, again, golf, you could maybe do it, but this is, this is still pedaling for three and a half hours flat out with an old, tired, washed-up body. You know? <laughs> That's amazing. And before I let you go, um, did you want to give a shout-out for your public speaking as well? How do, how do people get in touch with you? Yeah, I've got coachchalupski.com as, as a website that, uh, that I use, and, and, I, and I, I'm set up to do Zoom chats and live, and, and I enjoy public speaking because my, my whole thing is in, my whole thing is to try and help people. And, and the only way you can do is to get an audience and, and see what I've gone through and, and succeeded and, and hopefully help other people do the same thing. And in fact, I'm writing a book and it's written by a very famous ghostwriting by a guy called Graham Spence, who wrote the, the book called Elephant Whisperer. And, and we're making a book of my life, but it's going to be a sort of self-help after every chapter. And you can imagine how long I've been competing. My, I, I made my first national senior national team at age 14 and I was still I won my last race at age 55 a world cup race in Guadeloupe at age 55 and the next guy came second was 25 and I've been about three minutes over 50k oh. yeah so, so that's a lot that's a long it's a long era from going from 14 years old to 55 I mean and, and I still compete now and I, and I, I still try and beat those youngsters <laughs> and, and, I, and I think and there's got to be something to that, you know. So my, my whole aspect is, number one, I was in sales. I, I, I started a couple of successful companies. And I've been married for 27 years, which is which is not normal. And I've got a, how many years? <laughs> 32, is it? My wife's laughing at that. It's 32. We've been together 38 years. Oh, wow. Well. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, so, so that's the whole thing is to balance your life between sport which i was flat out six seven hours a day business you've got to keep that going because when your sports finished you in trouble then your your family relationship and then i got given a curveball of okay now you must just fight cancer just to put that cherry on the top you know so it's the sort of four four aspects in life that you've got to keep and i was very healthy at 49 believe me you have to be quite healthy to beat the best in the world especially at clint robinson as you guys know and nathan bagley's of this world so it is hopefully the book, and, and we're going full steam ahead. It should be out in about two and a half months. We, we're working on what the title is, from beach bum to maybe from uh, beach bum to uh, entrepreneur or whatever, you know, because <laughs> I was spent all my life on that beach. Well, you're one inspirational man, Oscar Chalupski. Thanks so much for joining us on Legends of Bevo, The Road to Tokyo. Definitely have to get you on in a few months' time to plug your new book, and I can't wait to have a read of that. Uh, thanks once again. Mm-hmm.